Welcome to Sunday nights at Sailorville. If you find your way back to your seat, good to have you here this this evening. You can find your way back to your seat. That would be great. Looking forward to being able to uh, teach you tonight uh, in God's Word. I would invite you, if you have God's Word with you, that you would turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 11 is where we're beginning. Luke chapter 11. As we start this uh, first series back together on Sunday nights in our core value of growth, uh, looking at tonight at this uh, topic and the issue at hand of this evening is prayer. And what a great place to go and to begin with, with the Lord's Prayer. So Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 4, and then I'm going to skip to verses 9 through 13, and it'll be on the screens behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. So the, the Word of God says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish gives him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, enlighten us by it. Strengthen us through it. Challenge us at the same time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're beginning this series. I don't know how many weeks it goes, but to think about how do we grow in this growth of the Christian life. So this is one of our core values that was introduced to us last week. Let's go ahead and I'll read it together. Growth, God gives me all I need to thrive so I will develop disciplines for healthy growth. And tonight as we talk about prayer, the discipline of prayer, I want you to start out by talking about the importance of prayer in the life of our Savior, Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, 32 through 34 tells us this, that at evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick, who were oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So look at this. Jesus is at the end of the day. The sun is beginning to go down, and they continue to bring him the sick, the oppressed, the demons. It says the whole city was gathered at his door. So this is a physically and emotionally, spiritually exhausting evening for our Savior going into the night. Then look at what verse 35 says. And rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
The sun had gone down while he was still ministering. And before the sun had risen again, he wakes up, goes to a place on his own, and prays to his father. Luke 6, verse 12, tells us that in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Did you catch that? All night without sleep, he continued in prayer to God. Matthew 21, and Jesus is cleansing of the temple after he opens up and just unleashes on everyone in the temple, says, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 56, that my house is, shall be a, called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus says, you've been using my house as your own, my father's house for your own gain, when this is supposed to be a prayer, a prayer house. In other places, he says, a prayer for the nations. In our text, we saw in Luke 11, the disciples were watching him pray. And when he's done, they don't come up to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to preach, teach us how to heal, teach us how to serve. Instead, they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They saw Jesus' prayer life and they wanted to have it. They heard about the prayer life of John the Baptist and how he had taught his disciples how to pray and they're asking Jesus to, to do the very same thing. One of my favorite pastors, Jim Simbola, he says this, why is it we put so little emphasis on prayer in our lives and churches? The son of the living God couldn't face the day without prayer and neither should we. Why a quote like that, though? Why does the pastor have to say, why don't we emphasize prayer? Because often in our own lives, we don't emphasize prayer, do we? And if we can be honest, that's not on the first thought of many of our lives. And many of us, when we hear a topic even that we're going to discuss prayer, I don't know what kind of thoughts came to your mind or what kind of feelings came into your stomach what kind of ideas that you had about this, but let's just be honest with each other that sometimes prayer can be intimidating, can't it? And I think maybe that's a factor of why we don't emphasize prayer. It can be an intimidating thing. I remember when I moved to Pennsylvania as a freshman in college, and we were supposed to go and visit churches that we were going to go to. And I went to a very small church, and at that church, it was prayer meeting, and there was just a group of men gathered in a circle. And they were old men that knew how to pray. And I remember watching as each one of them prayed. And I'm telling you, they probably prayed for 25 minutes each. And my heart was sinking as I thought, how am I going to outdo these guys or at least get to the point of where they are at? And I had a friend with me that when it was his turn to pray, he actually got up and went to the bathroom. <laughs> hey, well, I guess it's your turn, they said to me. Oh, man. And honestly, prayer can be weird at times, can it? Have you ever been to a prayer meeting where there's like 30 unspoken prayer requests? I remember being in high school and our youth pastor was asking for prayer requests and the first girl raised her hand and says, unspoken. Next girl, unspoken. Next guy, unspoken, right? And I said, can you elaborate on these? He said, no, I can't, they're unspoken. And I thought, well, I didn't even have one, but at that time there was at least 12, and I thought I'd just throw mine in there just in case, and I was just unspoken right here. <laughs> and I remember the prayer of my youth pastor is going, okay, let's pray. Dear God, you know all of our hearts and details of our lives. I don't know any of them, 
God, I pray for all these unspokens that are shared. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is a time for an unspoken prayer request, right? There are times that uh, we can't share the details and we don't want to gossip either. But at times, those kind of things can feel weird. Oftentimes, we don't emphasize prayer because, just to be truthful, we're lazy. Prayer takes time, and we don't want to do, we'd rather do something else. We don't see a, a pressing need for it. And sometimes prayer isn't a part of our lives because of a lack of knowledge. Just like the disciples, we have to be taught how to pray. We have to be taught why we pray, what does prayer accomplish, because sometimes you sit there and you pray, and it feels like, if you're honest, you're just talking to yourself sometimes, doesn't it? Like, what is this even doing? And so I want to answer some of those questions tonight. I hope to answer that it is not intimidating, that it shouldn't be weird, that you need to stop being lazy because you're missing out on a thriving relationship with God. And I want to teach you a little bit about what prayer does and what it does to us when we pray. I want to submit to you and recommend to you a book that much of my talk will be out of tonight. It's called Visual Theology by Tim Challies. It has a very short snippet on prayer within this book, but a very helpful snippet at that that really helped me understand further what prayer is and what it does in my life. So many of the points that I'll be sharing tonight is from Tim Challies' book, and I hope that you look it up on Amazon and pick it up. But let's define what prayer is. Wayne Grudem defines prayer simply as personal communication with God. Personal communication with God. Let that sink in for a moment. Did you catch that? Communication with God. That you and I have the ability to commune, to communicate with the Creator. But relationships do not thrive on one-way communication, do they? If one person is doing all the talking, it's hard to really have a thriving relationship. So God primarily speaks to us through his word and presses upon us things from his Holy Spirit. Prayer is the way that we then relate back to him. We communicate back to him. So number one, what prayer is, is prayer is our response. Prayer is our response. God, in every area of our lives, initiates, and we respond to his initiation. So he chose us for salvation from the beginning, before the foundations of the world, and he pursues us for salvation, convicts us of sin, and we respond to his pursuit with repentance and faith. And when we are far from God, and we're, even if we're cl- close with God, and we're walking and not in step with him on a daily basis, Romans chapter 2 tells us that his kindness leads us, or it motivates us, God's kindness motivates us to repentance. So prayer is all about relationship. It's not trying to find a relationship with God, but us responding to the relationship that God offers to us. And although prayer is asking and petitioning God, it's more about communion with God. I love this quote from David Platt. He says, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get something, but to know someone. It's not to get something, but to know someone. 
And so prayer is for our good. Yes, to petition and to talk and ask God of things, but it is ultimately to get to know our Savior and our Creator on a deeper, more intimate level because that's his desire for those who have been bought by him. Secondly, prayer is a duty and a delight. Prayer is a duty and a delight. So it's a duty and that prayer is not optional. It's not just for super godly Christians, but for all Christians. Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, say our Father who art in heaven, but he says, when you pray, pray this way. And Paul instructs us with that verse that many of us know in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. That is to be in continual prayer. We're hitting some of my favorite theologians tonight, so why not Spurgeon? Spurgeon says, Christians are not always in the act of praying, but should always be living in the spirit of prayer. So we're not, this is what he's talking about, a prayer without ceasing, is that God is always a part of every single detail of our lives. We may not be actively praying on our knees to him, but we should be so penetrated and so filling our lives that we're always in a spirit of prayer before him. It is a duty, but is also a delight. Prayer is called a spiritual discipline, But because it doesn't happen naturally, we have to discipline ourselves to it. Another one of my favorite theologians says, discipline leads to delight. (laughs) That's pretty cool, right, man? You're a meme. That's awesome. (laughs) Discipline leads to delight, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 tells us, for the, mo- for the moment, all discipline seems painful. This is talking about discipline that comes from God, but rather than pleasant. So when you're disciplined, nobody actually enjoys it. No child likes being spanked. No child likes to be sent to their room. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So for those of you who play a musical instrument, get your hands in the air right now if you play a musical instrument. Remember when you first started and it was a little difficult, frustrating, but if you've disciplined yourself to it, you see the joys of being disciplined and it leads you to delighting in it, where you can sit down at the piano and enjoy what you're doing. You see, I don't experience that delight because I wasn't disciplined enough. I quit piano when I was in sixth grade. And I wish I would have disciplined myself to it to enjoy and experience the delight that comes from it. So if you discipline yourself to prayer, I remember the first time I was going to pray for five minutes and I was, I got done and I looked at the clock and it was like two and a half. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that was first, it felt like forever. But now as I continue and it's a big part of my life, it leads to delight. I want to recommend another book to you. This is from Jim Simbola, who we've already quoted tonight. This is a story of a pastor who disciplined himself along with his church that they would indeed be a house of prayer and the delight and the blessing that came from it. Seriously, do yourself a favor and get this book. I read it about 10 years ago, and I reread it again last week. It'll grab your attention. It's a fun read, and it will rock your world at how God has worked through prayer in a church that is completely committed to it. So thirdly, prayer is asking God. 
or it is petitioning God. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 2, 1 and 2, he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, that is praying on behalf of others, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So Paul instructs Timothy to pray and ask God on behalf of yourself, on behalf of the church, on behalf of the people that are in authority. Ask God for things. That's part of what prayer is for. But maybe you've asked a question or you've thought about, if God is sovereign, it is God ordains all things, he knows all things, and he knows all things that are, could be, that are, and what come about, what is the purpose of prayer? And then you read things like Matthew chapter 6 in the context of prayer where Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask. God definitely is indeed sovereign. As Psalm 148 tells us, verse 8, that he sends the weather. Although the meteorologist is reading all the weather patterns and everything that's happening, it's God that's actually causing those things to happen and bringing them about. Psalm 139 tells us that God plans our days before we were ever born. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. So God places people into authority and then uses them to accomplish his purposes. And then I love this one. Look at this, Proverbs 16.33 the lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So you see that? Even the things that people say are chance in this life are not chance at all. When you roll dice, when you're playing with the family at the kitchen table or wherever you're at, and you roll dice, even that too is determined by God. God is sovereign over all things. But then we come across the passage like this in James 4, verse 2, when it says, you desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now catch this. You do not have because you do not ask. What do we do with that? Because clearly it is saying that there is a time that we are deprived of something because we haven't asked God for it, where he's willing to give it to us otherwise. Okay, so can we just acknowledge first and foremost that how God works in prayer and his sovereignty is a mystery. His ways are beyond finding out. Nobody has known the mind of the Lord. He doesn't take counsel from anyone. No one can ever instruct him. He is far beyond us. But isn't it kind of fun to try to make sense of it a little bit? So let's do that a little bit as well. Here's a quote from Tim Challies. It says, God not only plans the end of all things, but the means as well. God acts through prayer, not apart from it. So I'll give you an example. I was driving a while back, and I was witnessing to some friends of mine who didn't know the Lord. And it, we have been talking to them and sharing the gospel with them for several weeks, and it had turned into months. 
And I got to the point where it was just like, God, I don't know where else to take them. I don't know what else to say. I just need you to have your Holy Spirit just come in and save them. And that following week, over the next two weeks, both of them came to know Christ. Now, did God save them because of my prayers? No, he chose them before the foundation of the world, out of his love. But could he have saved them during that time because of my prayers? What do you think? Let's uh, look look at this a little bit, okay? This is kind of fun. All right, so let's say that these stanchions up here represent uh, all eternity. And so before the foundation of the world, God is ordaining everything, and he's standing on this side, and he's planning out all of everything that will happen. Now let's imagine that this goes on forever, and somehow, at some point, you pop up. And God brings something into your life that is painful. Let's say that this represents um, a loss of a job right here, okay? And you're seeking the Lord and petitioning him that you would find a job. And not just any job, but the job that you desire that's within your gift set. Let's say that this represents your prayer, Now, God orchestrates the means of how he brings about his will as well as the ends, right? So could God look at it and say, I'm going to ordain that you will pray, and because you have asked for this in my sovereign plan, I'm giving you what you have asked for. Now, let's imagine again that uh, a loved one in the family has cancer, And it's here, and God ordains that for that to happen. And you pray for healing, and God answers your request with a, no, that's not my plan. But he does answer your request that he would be glorified and that someone would come and would come to know Jesus as a result of that person's faithfulness. And could that happen? God is sovereign, and he can do whatever he wants. Could he have that happen without you asking for it? Yeah, he could. But he has the means, he knows your prayer, he ordains your prayer, and you ask him for it, and he plans it for it to happen, okay? That's a mystery. Even something as silly as this, you silly, your mind is like, I don't know how it happens, but I know that prayer does something. So I'm doing it, and I'm committed to it. But can we really ask God for anything? I, I saw this tweet from Richard Dawkins the other day. Richard Dawkins, if you don't know him, he is a devout atheist and very opposed to organized religion and really against Christianity. And he tweeted this out, Christians, don't ask God to cure cancer and world poverty. He's too busy finding your parking space and, finding the weather for your, and fixing the weather for your barbecue. <laughs> and I read that because I follow Richard, and uh, I thought, you know what, that's right, he's right. I bet we sound so silly. There's so many big things going on in the world, and I'm asking God that he would hold off rain on my game on Wednesday night. But then I thought, no, Richard is absolutely wrong because our God is infinite. He's omnipresent. So he can handle the big cares of the world And he can also handle the small cares of the world at the very same time because he's present everywhere. He sees it all. So you keep asking God for that parking spot at Jordan Creek, okay? 
during Christmas time when you can't find one and you don't want to walk in the snow. You ask him for it. He can handle it. He's going to take care of everything else. That better not be the only thing that you're asking God for. But our infinite, most valuable God can handle any of our requests that are in accordance with his will. He's never going to give you anything that's against his will that would be sinful, that would bring harm to someone else. That's why he says, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, on earth as it is in heaven. You want God's ultimate will done in prayer. That's what you're praying for. In chapter 11, what we just read here is that God loves to give good gifts to his children. Look at verse 11 of that chapter we read earlier of Luke 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a, fish, instead give him a serpent? So a, fa- a child comes up to a father and says, hey, dad, can I have some fish? And he says, yeah, sure. And he's like, I'm just kidding. It's a snake, right? And then he says, what if you would do the same thing if they asked for an egg? Would you give them a scorpion? Now catch this a little bit, all right? You ready? This is Jesus telling us our condition. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God loves to give good gifts to his children, primarily in salvation, the Holy Spirit. That's his greatest gift that he could give to us. But he loves to give good gifts to his children, and he's waiting for us to ask. He's not going to give you a serpent rather than a fish. So prayer is about petitioning and asking God, trusting his will, knowing that prayer does indeed make a difference within God's sovereignty. He's working out his will, in some cases, through the prayers that you are asking. Number four, prayer changes you. So what prayer does, what prayer is, prayer changes you. The more you pray and you're in tune with God and you're praying according to his will, he makes you know him and shows areas of him, that you, areas of yourself that you need to change. Remember that quote from David Platt, the primary purpose of prayer is not getting something but to know someone. When I was driving the other day and I was praying out on behalf of my friends that didn't know the Lord. I had gotten to the point where in the midst of my prayer while I was driving, God began to reveal to me some pride in my life. And he spoke to me through his Holy Spirit and he said, Brad, are you praying for me to save this couple because you want people to know that you led them to Christ? And I was struck with that. And while I was driving, I said, God, I don't care who leads him to Jesus. I just want them to know him. And you know what happened? The next week, the wife was saved, and I didn't lead her to Christ. The following week, the husband was saved, and it was a guy that had met him for the very first time. See, God was answering prayer, but he was also changing me. He was showing me my heart and my sin and revealing to me areas that I needed to change And prayer changes us when we come together as a group, doesn't it? Have you prayed with other Christians and your hearts are just so knitted together? We had a youth leader training this last weekend and we were on our knees on behalf of the students and parents in our student ministry. 
and mothers were crying over their children's salvation. People were crying out to God, and it was just one of those moments where we were drawn so close together, and our relationship together was taken to the next level because we were drawn to each other through prayer. Number five, prayer prepares you. Luke chapter six, remember that when he stayed up all night in prayer? The very next morning, after he prayed all night, Jesus went and, and chose his 12 disciples. That's what he was doing all night in prayer. He was preparing himself for this huge decision of the 12 that he would draw out of the many disciples that were following him. And so we need to seek the Lord to prepare ourselves to make big decisions. When you pray and, you pre and you're preparing yourself to receive God's answer, Sometimes we don't get what we want, what we're asking for from God, but as we spend time in prayer, he prepares our hearts to receive whatever he brings to us because we're humbled. He prepares us to have a good attitude with people we encounter. He prepares us with that, with that decision that you were hoping would really come through and it didn't. He prepares you to respond in a godly way and to continue to worship him. So prayer is our response to God's initiation. Prayer is our duty and our delight. Prayer is asking God. Prayer changes you and prayer prepares you. Well, let me just give you a couple of tips for prayer. Matthew chapter 6. This is verses 5 and 6. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Simply, number one, pray in secret. Just as fasting, you're not supposed to sound trumpets out before you, or when you're giving Prayer is one of those secret things. that it's, Isn't that a, a shameful thing that you would try to be prideful about prayer? And, and God knowing, Jesus knowing our hearts, he says that's going to be an issue for you actually is pride. So do yourself a favor and go to a place and pray to God that no one else is going to see you doing it except for the Father because that's who you're trying to talk to anyway. Are you praying for the, the ears of men and others to say, wow, look at that godly dude or that godly lady Instead, we're praying because we want to know God more, not to find favor with other people. Number two, what I would suggest to you is write out and read prayers. Write out and read your prayers. And then, um, do we have that one? Okay, yeah, write out and read your prayers. So what I do is I, I right now I'm in the book, uh, I'm in the Psalm, and I've been going over the last two weeks of Psalm chapter 25. And I've been reading that psalm, just a couple of verses at a time. It's split up into nice sections. And what I do is I read it, and then I say, God, I want to grow in this area. The psalm starts out with, Lord God, I trust you. And I'm asking God, I'm saying, God, show me areas that I am not trusting you. In this area specifically, God, I know that I don't trust you, and I want to. I want to grow in that area. So you see, prayer comes out of our time with God in his word. And I journal and actually write these things out. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when you pray, 
doesn't like, it's hard to really focus in on what you're praying. All your thoughts get fuzzy. You start thinking about other things, right? Have you even been there before or is that just me? Okay, good. It's helpful to write it out. And then after you've written it out, read it back to God. That's what I found to be really helpful for me. And then I would encourage you actually to read other people's prayers from time to time. Now, I was taught growing up that reading prayers is not right. Because I was told that, well, if you read someone else's prayer, it's really not from the heart and it's not sincere. And I thought about my prayers, though, when I was growing up. And I thought, well, they sounded something like, uh, Jesus, thank you for this day. Keep me safe. Uh, thank you for this day. Help me not to get a flat tire. Uh, thank you for this day. Give me traveling mercies, you know, um, and just keep me safe today, right? I mean, how, how heartfelt is that? Well, maybe it was from the heart, but it didn't have any purpose or meaning to it. I was just babbling. And so I would encourage you to pick up like a book like The Valley of Vision, other prayers from other saints that you can read for yourself and make those prayers from others to God. And then lastly, pray in Jesus' name. How many of you end your prayers a lot of time with in Jesus' name, amen? All right? That's good. We're told to pray in Jesus' name. John 14, 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But let me encourage you with this, that Jesus is not envisioning, at least I don't think that that in Jesus' name, amen, should just be a tag on to our prayers. Because that's not what it means to pray or to go on behalf of someone else's name. Because to come in someone else's name means that you are authorized to come on that person's authority, not your own. When the disciples healed in the name of Jesus, they were coming and healing on Jesus's authority. So to pray in Jesus's name is to say, I'm authorized to pray to God because of Jesus Christ. And God hears, it's a reminder to me that God hears my prayers, not because of my merit, but because of the merits of Jesus so when you come to him and you say, in Jesus' name, amen, or whatever you say in the midst of coming to him on his authority, because Jesus is the one that enables us to pray to God, right? When he died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, making all who know Jesus a kingdom of priests. All of us can now approach God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. But you know what's amazing? is that Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us. Peter, when he was about to experience the biggest temptation of his life, Jesus comes to him and he says, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to tear you down. But I've prayed that your faith would not fail. We're also told in Hebrews 7, verse 25, that our high priest, Jesus Christ, ever lives to intercede and to pray on our behalf. Romans 8, 26. I'm going to go there because it's such a wonderful verse, and I don't have it on the screen. Romans 8, 26. tells us of the spirit that prays for us. 
Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. Have you ever had one of those moments where you didn't even know how to pray? You didn't even know what to say. The words weren't even coming to mind. Things were so desperate. The Spirit in those moments comes in and he prays on your behalf. He takes your groanings and he translates them to the Father. Here's what Brad desires to say right now, but he can't. He can't even put his words together. And he prays for us. Oh, Christians, prayer is such a gift. It's how we we commune with God. Oh, shame on me when I've taken it so lightly. God speaks to us in his word and we communicate with him so that we can know him greater, so that we can go with him on a deeper level and see him change us and the world around us through our prayers. So we have uh, five minutes or so left. I would just invite you, why don't you um, take three, I'll take five minutes. We have seven minutes. Take five minutes and I want you to go to Psalm chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25, and this will be fresh for you. You haven't been studying it like I have. But I would just encourage you to just pray through the first couple of verses. Psalm chapter 25. Maybe we could even have it up on the screen for those who need it up there, guys in the back. Psalm 25, just pray through. Why don't you just pray through verses one through five. Call out, read those, and as you read it, stop and ask God. And I would encourage you, why don't you even pray out loud on this? Revelation five says the prayers of saints are held in bowls in heaven and they rise as incense to God. He loves to hear the prayers of his saints. And it's also a reminder that God hears you along with everyone else. But we don't, if you're not in that spot, that's fine. And then I'll, I'll call you back after just a couple of minutes of prayer. And I just want you to pray with the person next to you and then you'll be dismissed after that. So go ahead and find chapter 25 of the, um, and verses 1 through 5 and uh, pray these out to the Lord.